Athletes, take your mark. Get set. It's time for the Addict to Athlete podcast. Everybody out there, Coach Blue Robinson here. Hope this podcast is finding you well today. Thank you all so much for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to it. Greatly appreciate you sharing this with people that may need it. Jump on our website if you want more information on how Team Addict to Athlete operates. We have free downloadable content. We have all kinds of uh, stories and educational podcasts and uh, content that you can download for free. Help you get the, uh, the journey of uh, addiction recovery under your belt and maybe even be inspired and again if you can and you'd be so willing to jump on and leave us a review we'd greatly appreciate it it helps get this podcast out there a little bit further and kind of lets us connect with you the listener so thanks so much for doing so so keep an eye on that website we have a lot of neat things happening this year on team medic to athlete with some new events Um, check our social medias uh, specifically YouTube if you haven't subscribed to the uh, locker room with coach blue uh, and team medic to athlete do so We have all kinds of fun content there, and we download some pretty neat experiences that we have and some uh, some educational content there there too. So jump on uh, our YouTube and social media outlets and and feel free to reach out to us. We have a lot of ways that you can do so through the social media or our emails or phone numbers on addict2athlete.org. And while you're there, check out our, our online store. We've got some great merchandise, you guys. Check out Team Addict to Athlete stores. You're getting ready to, to put in all your work this summer to, uh, to represent your recovery through uh, no longer being nervous or, or keeping it a secret, but to show the world how much change you're making and uh, prepare them for the comeback that is your recovery. Athletes, today I'm going to jump into a topic that I'm pretty passionate about that I really wanted to share with you guys uh, probably about a year ago. But with guests and whatnot, I've kind of put it on the back burner, but significant uh, things have happened with several of my athletes I'm coaching and training, and even more so in the big boy job, which is the uh, private therapy program that I, that I run. Um, and that is this uh, situation I'm finding more and more common for what's called self-deprecation. Self-deprecation is kind of an interesting thing. Um, many of you in the addiction recovery world may not realize how much you do this to yourself. Um, and, and, and even what it is. And so I wanted to take a deep dive um, today to talk about this change that you're making and no longer allowing yourself to, to be your own worst critic. Um, there, are, there are so many times in your addiction recovery that you're going to beat yourself up because of things that you've done, maybe experiences that you had. You are no longer going to be the butt of your own joke. And I want to really dive into self-deprecation and why we do it in the first place. And if you notice this in others, how to identify it, and then how to help them see the other side of the coin, maybe the other side of their personality that brings out that experience, that brings out their love and the compassion and the humility that is the definition of recovery in and of itself. Um, Self-deprecation is a huge issue. And uh, as we go through this, I think that you'll probably see there have been times that all of you, even myself included, have participated in kind of being hard on ourselves, maybe not allowing ourselves some of the necessary space for growth that we would probably gift to somebody else. Because again, as you know, we're our own worst critic. So I want to jump in today, talk about what self-deprecation is, why it starts, what to do with it, and then how to leave it in the rearview mirror. You know, athletes, oftentimes um, there will be times in our lives that we will purposely make ourselves the blunt of a joke and and put ourselves down for for the fun of it, right? That is a little bit different than what I'm going to be teaching you today about self-deprecation. It's a little bit deeper than that. And self-deprecation is properly defined as modesty about being a, a cynic or criticizing oneself. 
Think about that for a second, right? This method is commonly used by people who seek attention to boost their own confidence. And so self-deprecation typically occurs when a person speaks negative about themselves to others. You will definitely see this in a lot of comedians. Maybe there's an overweight comedian that uh, brings that attention to his weight because it's uh, a ploy to be funny. And so they make fun of themselves uh, and usually speak negative about themselves so that the others around won't or can't. It's, all, it's kind of like, I'm okay with this because I'm making fun of it. But it can manifest itself in a lot of other ways too, you guys. Like a person not being able to take a compliment or consistently complaining about themselves to the point that you see that they're not really doing this for humor's sake, but they're doing it to point out their flaws. Self-deprecation can range from some mild phraser, phrases, kind of like, you know, I'm so ugly or I'm so overweight or, or so on and so forth, to more extreme language like I don't deserve to live. Now, I know that's a big jump, but self-deprecation is a form of verbal self-harm. And we may not realize that. We think self-harm is the other kind of like physical stuff. But self-deprecation is a form of verbal self-harm. And a person experiences self-deprecation in so many different ways, you know, in so many different mindsets. They use a part of the brain to conjure up those negative thoughts and move uh, to a, a, a mindset of vocalizing the thoughts out loud, utilizing uh, another's, another region in the brain that kind of uh, makes you reshape and rethink who you authentically are. And it can create this very pessimistic thought process within yourself. And then you can start having like multiple negative pathways uh, of thinking about yourself. And these cynical thoughts, you guys, they often stem from a need to feel better about ourselves, a, uh, you know, a, a situation where maybe we're trying to make light of it so that other people will look past it. But what it typically does is bring more attention to that aspect or part of yourself that you're trying to make fun of. When a person self-deprecates, um, they are usually you know, verbalizing those negative thoughts, wanting someone to, uh, to kind of negate them. They're wanting someone to stay, say something to the tune of, you know what? No, you're not overweight. Or no, you are beautiful. It, it feels good to hear someone else say that kind of stuff um, that is exactly opposite to what that person may be feeling that's negative about themselves and turn it into a compliment rather than positive words. See, there's a sticky point though. And listeners, I want you to think about this, right? You'll, you'll see this a lot in children. And this is one of those heavy hearted things that I noticed once when I was working, you know, as a watchdog dad at my kid's elementary school. It was a program that my kid's elementary school um, instituted that uh, when a dad had a day off, they'd go and kind of, you know, participate and hang out with the kids at school. They'd kind of keep an eye on the, on the place, I guess, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, no, nothing bad happens. It's just kind of more bodies that are watching, like, what's going on in, in the, on the social realm, uh, the better. But we were allowed to also go into our kids' classes and kind of help out and kind of help the teachers and support them. I remember one time I was in a classroom and there was a young man, he was uh, coloring a picture and drawing a picture and he's coloring it and stuff. And I walked by, I'm like, man, that's really good, buddy. And he's like, well, no, not really. I'm like, yeah, it is. I can totally tell, you know, that's a fire truck. I can, t I can totally tell. I can't remember what the picture was he was drawing, but I'm like, that's really good. But here's this young kid, probably second, third grade, if I remember correctly. And he was already beginning to self-deprecate himself. He's already starting to talk, speak ill about his talents it got me thinking, where does this come from? You know, because I, I know he wasn't doing it as a ploy for me to kind of be pulled in to say, you know, to, to, to give him those kind words. It was so freely expressed that when I was telling him, no, man, that's really good. 
I'm not sure if he truly believed it. So this starts way, way young, guys. This isn't something that we pick up, you know, in our adulthood. Typically by then, it's gotten significantly worse. So consistently, like seeking validation from others and, uh, you know, kind of engaging in self-defeating uh, behavior, self-deprecation, it can lead to emotional uh, alienation. And when a person self-deprecates, they don't take the time to consider how it makes like others feel when they're criticizing themselves. Because they're kind, of, they're kind of thinking, I'm saying what you're thinking anyway. So these individuals, they tend to know their audience they choose um, uh, to utilize that kind of behavior with. Because they know that there's sometimes those kind of words won't fly with, with close friends or with loving you know, people uh, within their family system or whatnot. So a lot of times they do this when they're in new situations or when they're you know, at a new job or going to a new school or a new situation. Um, and, and although like, uh, they, they never want to feel as though they are frequently being forced to have to say nice things about others and, and negative things about themselves, it definitely puts them in a mindset of, if I call this bad attribute out about myself first, no one will be able to catch me off guard. Now, athletes, this is one of the reasons why I don't like when people use the term addict. Hello, I'm blue. I'm an addict. That is a self-deprecating mindset. It's a self-deprecating thought. And I know traditionally in other programs and other situations you've been to, that's almost you know standard issue. But why? Why are we continuing to label ourselves you know, that way? Well, I, th- I think you're going to learn more about this as we move forward. I know that it can be extremely challenging um, dealing with someone who's constantly utilizing that self-deprecating form of attention-seeking. Um, you know, whether it be a child, a family member, or a friend, there are various ways to help others stop like verbalizing those negative thoughts about themselves. And first and foremost, we need to learn to recognize a person who's actually in a self-deprecating mindset. When an individual begins to engage in self-deprecation, um, to maybe help them pull back and, ref- you know, and reframe uh, from being from being warm to being kind of like attention grabbing uh, by saying, "Why are you talking so low about yourself?" Like, help me understand this. Oh well, um, hopefully you have a, a relationship or can be- can begin to build one where you can have some serious conversations about this. Um, when a person who is self-deprecating gets uh, a positive response that they're looking for, it has the potential to reinforce that negative behavior, which is kind of a weird thing, right? That's that victim versus agent mentality we talk about so much here on Team Addict to Athlete. If I reinforce the fact that you are beautiful, that you are smart, and that you have immense talent, after you've self-deprecated a, a, a conversation about you that, that would, I guess, you know, challenge those ideas that I have about you, you can see how a validation would definitely click in and, and kind of make that person who's self-deprecating feel good because we're giving them a compliment. So when engaging in self-deprecating behaviors, it's necessary to recognize that it starts with you, the individual, and ends with you, the individual. You know, self-awareness is going to be key, not only in yourself, to stop, your, you know, stop from self-deprecating, but also self-awareness enough in the person who might find someone in their social group or social network that's doing this. 
this is going into a little bit deeper um, mindset. I want to jump into maybe, you know, some, some reasons why this happens. A lot of it is to cover some emotional pain, some physical things that we may not feel like we're up to par. And what happens when that pain that we have goes so deep inside of us that we must then pull out our flaws to make that a mockery or a joke um, and trying to get uh, other people to see the positive side of us. If you're struggling with this, I want you to pay particular attention as we jump into the, the why of it all. So there's absolutely no doubt that self-deprecation comes from a spot or a point of pain within ourselves. And as you know, one of my, one of my biggest critiques about addiction is that it is typically there to cover some kind of pain. Something hurts. Something happened, something didn't feel right. We found a substance that covered that, that void within ourselves and we used it to its full extent until it didn't work anymore. So with that as a point of view and maybe a perspective, I wanna, I wanna start looking now at um, you know, turning toward the pain, which is kind of an interesting thing to do, right? Again, we, we typically try to run away from pain, but the moment of your birth, you and I and everyone else around us, we're on this quest for happiness. And it, and it takes um, uh, more and more as we get older and older to kind of fill that void of happiness. We really want to fill it up, but our needs and our desires, they're going to multiply as we age. And then by adulthood, most of us don't expect to be happy unless we have maybe the perfect family or the best job or excellent health or lots of money and the love and the admiration of others. And when those things don't come, or if we've had things in our past that uh, we're less than happy to uh, have experienced or, or try looking to overcome, um, typically what happens through a lifestyle of avoiding all of those pursuits, we begin to go inward and the pain begins to get immense. And pain is uh, going to strike at you at your most vulnerable spot, whether it's a heart at love, or maybe it's a mindset, or maybe it's an emotion. It's going to try and thwart you from, from truly seeing the magnitude of who you can be. Now, pain creates conflict uh, between the things um, that are how we'd like to perceive them, how we feel, what we expect, and it really does have a, a strong indication of, of not being able to see ourselves for who we authentically are. That creates a disturbance that can create pain. And the more we wish that our lives would be different, we're actually probably feeling a lot worse. I've worked with many people who believe that happiness depends on external circumstances of life. And therefore, you know, they spend a lot of their lives on this treadmill, this emotional treadmill, continually trying to seek pleasure and avoid pain. Uh, and when we experience pleasure, we really want more of it. I mean, that's what created addiction, right? When we experience pain, we do our best to avoid it. And both of these re reactions, they're instinctive, you guys. They, they are what is at the core of you biologically. But if you think about it, they're not successful in strategizing uh, an emotional, well-rounded lifestyle. And the problem with seeking pleasure is that the pleasure is going to end at some time. It has to. There's got to be a point by which it's over and then the next experience begins. Well, you know, we become disappointed then. We literally fall out of love. Maybe our, our, our physical health gets called into jeopardy. Maybe we you know, move on from friendships, relationships, maybe jobs, and what have you. This is where self-deprecation kind of comes in because we have to justify or validate the why behind the things that happen to us um, are happening. 
Now, the problem with avoiding pain is that it's just not possible to do so if you think about it. Avoiding pain is like trying to avoid being hit by a, a raindrop in a, in a hurricane. It's just you're going to get wet. So it's possible that we can control some of this to a certain point, but we have to understand that there's a lot of things that are out of our control. And a new approach in changing a mindset about the, the beauty, about the feelings, about the experiences that can lead to another bout of happiness or love or compassion or, or just that good feeling, it's not as far as hard or as challenging as you think. But here's the deal, listeners. What we resist persists. You've heard me say this in the, in the past, right? Um, it, what you're avoiding is, is inevitable. There's going to be things that are going, you're going to have to face. And sometimes facing ourselves, looking at ourselves in our, in our own mirror, so to speak, it can be very difficult. I think you've heard me say this over and over and over again, right? You know, it is your resistance to what is that's causing your suffering, so here's a little formula that kind of captures that response to pain. Pain times resistance equals suffering. So if it is what you're like, you know, pushing against what you're resisting that causes your suffering, where's the pain coming from? Pain times resistance equals suffering. Now, pain refers to the unavoidable discomfort that comes into our lives. You know, and it doesn't have to just be like the addiction related to the world. It can be things like accidents or illness or the grief of someone that you've loved and lost, maybe death. Resistance refers to any kind of effort that we do to try and thwart or ward off that pain, such as, you know, you know, tensing, tensing up your body, going through unnecessary stress, ruminating about the way that that pain feels and wanting it to go away. But suffering, listeners, suffering is what uh, results when we resist the pain. Think about that for a minute. Suffering is what results when we resist pain. That is hard to even wrap your head around, and I know it's challenging. Suffering is about the physical and emotional tension that we add to our pain, layer upon layer. Now, I think all of you have come to understand that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And it seems that the more intense our emotional pain is, the more we suffer by obsessing, blaming ourselves, and feeling defective. Thus, those self-defeating mindsets, that self-loathing, that self-deprecation typically is created to avoid you being authentic, you being real, you healing from what hurts. But the good news is, is that there's a way to get yourself past this, guys. Uh, the, the pain in our lives uh, that is adequately described as suffering um, can be healed. Because remember, if pain is the prolongation of, of that suffering, let's stop suffering. Let's get real with ourselves. So now let's dive into finding that middle path. You know, moving away from the self-deprecation and understanding the pain and the, 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 the discomfort that it's creating and then asking yourself up to be open to the discomfort. Now I'm kind of asking a lot of you because some people can simply jump in and embrace that emotional distress and be willing to, to take it on. While others take a more gradual path and that's okay. Hurling yourself into the turbulent waters that may work for some people could be a potential risk and drowning episode for you. So I'm not saying to cannonball into this if you're not ready. 
Um, but I want you to know that you can feel safe and can, you can definitely get to a point where you feel more confident before taking that step toward resolving some of these painful issues. Most of us worry about what could happen if we open up that emotional pain. Um, maybe depressed people may fear that they'll overwhelm uh, their loved ones or they'll be a- unable to function because of how intense it could you know, maybe, maybe be again. Those with anxiety, you're going to worry that it's going to set you back or, or give you another, another vivid instant uh, to, to, to worry about that could potentially put you back into that mindset of, of uncontrollable anxiety. People with trauma, um, you're going to probably have some very scary moments that might re-haunt that, that heart in your mind as you start leaning into the source of what's causing that emotional pain. Thus, self-deprecation and hiding and you know, convincing yourself that you're less than could still quite potentially uh, leave you vulnerable. These are all real possibilities, um, and I want you to be prepared for it. So the purpose of, of this podcast is not just to talk about this, but to also give you some knowledge and skills to face that suffering so that you don't find yourself slipping into that self-deprecation. And it's not going to be able to do its, its full extent and, and work for you if you think or if you believe that you're not worth working on. Self-deprecating mindsets are going to keep you stuck and they're going to keep you from truly investing because they don't want you to move. They want you to feel and believe that you're less than. Now, I know that we're all very sensitive beings. I, I know that I work with so many of you, so I understand this. Even if you don't show it, I know that there are some fragile nerves inside of most of us. And you being able to learn to trust your intuition and distinguish between safety and discomfort is going to be crucial for you overcoming some of these feelings. Because feeling vulnerable or uncomfortable doesn't necessarily mean that you're unsafe or that you're hurt or that there's going to be potential mechanism of harm. It's important to remember, listeners, uh, and to know the difference that you want to A, live your life to its fullest, or B, hide and kind of, you know, plug your head into the sand. But no matter what, there's going to be some discomfort. But you have a team behind you, and I want you to know this. This is kind of a, a, a heavy request to start to become more congruent, more authentic with yourself, and to truly give yourself the love and the compassion that you typically will give others before you give yourself. So the mind has its own natural ways of avoiding distress. And these are those defense mechanism. And the defense mechanism that we're talking about today specifically, self-deprecation. But think about self-defeating mechanisms as also being things like denial or projection or splitting. These are these mindsets that we typically get into to try and protect ourselves. And we use it as as like external uh, fodder to protect ourselves. Like these are our defense mechanisms and they are essentially there to help you balance your emotional life. The problem is sometimes they don't work as you've created them. It sounds kind of silly, but for example, it may be wise to stay in denial about a a partner's affair until you realize uh, or, you know, maybe understand how you're going to be able to deal with it. Um, but becoming overwhelmed and unable to function in your daily life is going to you know, serve no useful end. So sometimes these defense mechanisms are there to protect ourselves, but if we use them too long, they're going to sink you. They're going to become so heavy that it's going to be challenging for you to understand how you authentically feel. 
We don't want our psychological like defense mechanisms to control us. We want them to be able to, to kind of project us. And stepping on to that treadmill, that emotional treadmill, when you start looking for ways to seek pleasure uh, and avoid pain may sometimes be a good thing, but it can also be very emotionally draining and it can create fatigue and it can create avoidance. And so I really want you to know that it's critical to know when those instinctive habits inside of you are either trying to help you maintain a pleasure-seeking mindset and avoid that pain, or if they're wanting you to become you know, engaged and, and in, involved in the solution to some of those problems. You're going to suffer either way, but for how long you allow that pain to exist is 100% up to you. As you move forward from acceptance of those self-defeating behaviors, that self-deprecation, those picking out your flaws to self-compassion, you're going to have quite an experience. Because listeners, I truly think that self-compassion is exactly where all this can, can lead towards. And what I mean by that is when we're in self-deprecating mindsets, we are pointing out flaws and we're doing so in a very negative mindset or manner. Self-compassion is exactly where the healing process begins. Now, this isn't easy because you're going to have a lot of history. You're going to have a lot of perceived collateral damage that addiction or behaviors have created and caused. But what would happen if you gave yourself some compassion? Well, self-compassion is a form of acceptance. We've experienced that. We know what that is. Whereas acceptance usually refers to what's happening to us, accepting a feeling or a thought. Um, Self-compassion is acceptance of the person to whom it's happening to, meaning you're giving yourself a gift and you're being compassionate to you which is absolutely going to be the answer to the final to get you out of that negative mindset, to, to stop picking on your flaws and taking your place as someone that's absolutely amazing. Both acceptance and self-compassion seem to happen, um, you know, with a tug of war type experience, if you think about it. Now, I want to kind of get a little bit deep with you. And I know that sometimes when I get on these little soapboxes and these tangents, I can get moving kind of quick. But I want you to kind of think about self-compassion and how it has this, this distinctive, non-intellectual and non-effortful you know, feel to it. And what I mean by that, listeners, is if we, if we can find ourselves in the midst of suffering and acknowledge the edge of the depth of our struggle, your heart begins to soften automatically. You, you stop trying to feel better and instead discover sympathy for yourself sympathy for yourself. Think about that for a minute. You giving yourself an okay to hurt. I want you to ponder that for a minute. In my own life, when I realized this, I really started to understand and have compassion for that little boy inside. That little boy who, who was mistreated, who was abused, who who you know, moved you know day after day started new schools ended old schools you know moved constantly created all these these issues within me these learning disabilities and all this other stuff that just you know reaped havoc on my life and when I saw the the pain and the suffering I I tried to suppress that with substances 
And it wasn't until I started having some, some self-compassion and finding myself um, in a mindset of forgiving and developing understanding, my heart would have never softened, listeners. If we can find ourselves in the midst of suffering and acknowledge the depth of that struggle, our heart will begin to soften. Look at what you've been through. Look at the battle or the war that you've experienced. There's no wonder or, or, or no, I guess, reasoning against you not feeling the way that you felt. This stuff hurts. Addiction hurts. The events leading up to addiction hurt. And if we can cry for that little boy, that little girl inside of us, and acknowledge it, and call it out that it wasn't good, we can then take our place. And we can stop trying to feel better and instead discover sympathy for ourselves. We start caring for ourselves because we were suffering. There's an important distinction between care and cure, listeners. Cure is what we try to do when we have some, some way to fix a problem. Care is what we can still do when all efforts of curing have failed. It's like attending to a, a person who, who, who's passing away. We let go of the struggle and tenderly join the experience of them passing. It's a heavy mindset. In emotional life, the sooner we stop struggling to fix things, the better. Because paradoxically, uh, then we understand that care leads to cure. Compassion comes from the Latin root, calm or with, and pace, which is fur, or to suffer with compassion. Think about that for a minute. When we offer genuine compassion, we absolutely join a person in his or her suffering. I think people in recovery, I think people who have experienced trauma are the most amazing people in this realm. When we offer genuine compassion, we join a person in his or her suffering. Being compassionate means that we recognize when someone or something is in pain. We abandon our own fear or resistance to it, and a natural feeling of love and kindness flows forward in that suffering individual. The experience of compassion is complete. Uh, And it it completely abandons um, the inclination to resist the emotional discomfort. It's full acceptance of the person, of the pain, and our own reactions to that pain. Self-compassion is simply giving the same kindness to ourselves that we would give to anyone else. And as we've talked about earlier, that small shift in direction of your attention can definitely make all the difference in your life, both when you're in intense pain, um, as you navigate or negotiate all these paths and, and, and try to traverse this daily life, and then for you to understand that we all have this instinct feeling or this instinct drive for self-compassion. Perhaps we've forgotten or suppressed it, 
But once you reintroduce yourself to it, you'll feel the magnitude of what this life really has to offer. A lot of us want it to be easy. And if the ideas um, uh, of, of you know, ease into this uh, are kind of like, I don't know, misleading, I don't blame you because it's not going to be super easy. But it will absolutely be worth it. So what are you waiting for, listeners? What are we truly, truly waiting for? You know, I, I think sometimes we fall out of, of rhythm with life. And we have to be mindful uh, about what we need and what we want. You know, mindfulness has to be experienced to be known. And I think that you can't adequately understand what being mindful is until you start doing the work that it's going to require in order for you to feel the magnitude of it. I posted this on a Facebook post earlier about, you know, the difference between mindfulness and mindlessness. You know, and I think sometimes we do a lot of things just kind of on autopilot. And it takes a lot of practice, you know, to be mindful that when you enter a new situation or you have a new experience, that you are cautious about your thoughts, that you're mindful about the things running through your head so you don't misrepresent who you are. So to avoid those self-deprecating mindsets or thought processes, I do believe that you need to begin to practice self-kindness. And you absolutely know that we have a tendency to judge ourselves when things don't go our way, adding insult to injury. Uh, A self-compassionate person will respond to difficulties and setbacks in a warm and understanding manner rather than with harsh criticism. The challenge is going to be, listeners, that it won't feel completely natural at first. If you are if you are so convinced um, that you are less than and those self-deprecating behaviors and comments have played you for, for who knows how long, you're going to probably even ask yourself, is self-compassion, is it even natural? And although our personal experiences may lead us to believe otherwise, self-compassion is the most natural thing in the world. You know, deep within all of us, there's a wish to be happy and free from suffering. We know this. Um, we're responding to you know all kinds of stimuli, all kinds of experiences, um, day in and day out. And when we experience things like loneliness or sadness or remorse or grief, um, our bodies go into this self-preservation mode. Everything we do, even the good feelings we um, derive from maybe helping others or serving others, seems to derive from that one wish to make ourselves feel better. So self-compassion practice is kind of like, you know, not adding anything special to your behavior or your your lifestyle, but really it's fanning the flames of your innate desire to be safe, happy, healthy, and to live life with some kind of ease, but in a more helpful way than, you know, maybe the tendencies of, uh, you know, self-deprecation. So first, I want you to recognize that we all truly deserve to feel good and to feel better. When we really feel bad, most of us engage in self-punishment, you know, rather than self-compassion. When, when we do, when we hurt, we typically get harder on ourselves. You know, we, we heap on that self-criticism, that self-deprivation. We, we act as if suffering, um, you know, allows uh, points for us to you know, spotlight personal flaws rather than being, you know, a, a human knowing that that's just the human condition in and of itself. 
if we remind ourselves that uh, wanting to feel better is a natural instinct, perhaps uh, we'd be less likely to take uh, ourselves to task when things don't go quite right or they go wrong. Wouldn't you still like to clean the bandage of a wound that you had after being injured rather than just allowing it to get dirty and fester? We take that dirty bandage off, scrub the wound, and allow it to heal properly by applying new ointment and new bandages to it. Why not do the same for yourself in an emotional way when you've experienced emotional pain? I, I think that uh, you know we react like this for some very specific reasons. Instinctively, your response to danger or a stress response is going to give you that fight or flight or freeze mechanism, right? And you get to choose. Those three strategies are going to help you survive physically. But when they're applied to your mental and emotional functioning, you're going to get in trouble. And what I mean by that is there's no enemy to defend against when it's in your mind, right? Fight becomes self-criticism. Flight becomes self-isolation. And freeze, that becomes self-absorption, getting locked into your own thoughts. You ever thought about it that way? You know, people with early childhood trauma, um, they find that to be kind of their go-to buttons, fight, flight, or freeze. And when it's in a mindset and not so much physical, we get locked up. And I think sometimes, you know, we uh, look at self-compassion as being elusive. And, you know, maybe maybe we don't even know how. I mean, I could be giving you guys all these principles, and maybe you may not realize you know, how to be self-compassionate. I once heard uh, someone ask me, well, it seems like you know, being self-compassionate is, is selfish. But I truly don't think so. I think accepting our flaws doesn't mean that our behavior can't or shouldn't change for the better. I think that that acceptance is in the present moment. And when we live in that present moment, not worrying about the past or the future, I think that's the, one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves. It's going to make you a lot more willing to practice that with others. And as you'll see in yourself, if you practice that self-compassion in deliberate ways, you will feel in every fiber of your body yourself focusing on you, your rhythm of your heart, and so many other attributes will start to, I guess, be uh, exposed through empathy and self-awareness. I think it's kind of one of these cool mindsets that we sometimes get in. Uh, I'm excited to move forward with this with you guys uh, to teach you more about the mindfulness and self-compassion practice that is so important these days. You know, because mindfulness, it can lead to self-compassion and it can bring feelings of sympathy and forgiveness and tenderness and love out in the open. And, you know, as we go through this life and as you go through this healing process, to be mindful and aware is going to help you see the people that hurt. It's going to be able to put you in a position to be compassionate and assist others when you're ready. It's going to bring an awareness that you may have, have suppressed, you know, and, and, and hidden from because really, you know, you staying stuck in those self-defeating behaviors and mindsets, all that does is take you away from you being great. You know, how much self-compassion we integrate into mindfulness practices uh, throughout our lifestyles, our days, our daily lives, it's going to be 100% up to you. But I've known long-term practice of being mindful, of being in the moment, of, of being kind to yourself, all it does is strengthen each day that you're here on this little ball of mud called Earth um, to be an instrument in God's hands, in the universe's arms, what have you. And that's truly where we need you, listeners. 
self-compassion works more with motivation um, than it does attention. And that self-compassion that you're worth investing in, that you're worth, you know, getting up at the crack of dawn to go and get your run in, that you're worth not toxifying your body with chemicals or substances, that you're worth overcoming trauma, uh, guys, the sky will be the limit, you know? And I'm so excited to talk about these kind of things with you because I know the, I know the instant um, uh, reaction you'll have if you begin to do this. And if you need help, that's what we're here for. You're not here to do this all by yourself. You're here to do this with a team. You know, you're, there are many pathways to self-compassion. There are, are five I can think of right now. Um, there's the physical, the mental, the emotional, the, the relationships, and the spirituality. And each of these offer numerous practices and principles that will help soften your heart into positions of allowing you to just be you, allowing your thoughts to not be so overwhelming and consuming that it puts you into a negative mindset. You know, by really befriending your emotions and and allowing that healing process to take place, it's going to help you relate to others in ways that you never thought. It's going to nourish that spirit that you have within yourself. And really, it's going to put you into that constant position of not judging yourself or others because of, you know, maybe follies of their past. There are so many attributes that we could get into, but I feel like maybe this has been a, a heavy podcast, so we'll we'll wrap this one up. But listeners, I am so I'm so happy to to be able to be a coach to help you guys overcome some of these things, to bring some awareness to your mindset, um, and to show you that you're so much more than an addict. You're so much more than the substance you use or the trauma you experienced. Each of you have a very specific and sole purpose for being here. When you align yourself with the, that sole purpose, you will be amazed at what you'll be able to develop and create and, and experience in this, in this little short life we have and uh, to be able to do it to a point by which you don't run out of time. I'm here to help. We have lots of coaches. We have lots of team captains that uh, will help you explore this if you have more information or want more information, I should say, and, and really to just get the mindset into the healing process and the compassion that you can give yourself so that you no longer utilize self-deprecating thoughts or comments or mindsets um, that will inevitably consume and ruin your life. So athletes, I want to thank you all for listening, for sharing this podcast, for, for listening to Coach Blue get up on his soapbox, which I tend to do from time to time. Please jump on our Patreon and, and subscribe to the Patreon channel. We got a lot of our extracurricular recovery playbook stuff going on right there. We have uh, amazing people that contribute each week to help that podcast move forward. And uh, all contributions do. It goes into this podcast from hosting the website to the equipment to the, the publicity, all this kind of stuff. Um, and we have some amazing people, and I think I should probably just share with you who they are. Our super fans, Jerem Thurston, Tracy Whitby, Holly Davies, Scott Foster, Coach Chris Williams, Brett Frew, Coach Tara Butson, Steve Riggs, and the Warrior Within Podcast and Personal Development by Sensei KP. Thank you so much, super fans. Our rookie-level subscribers, thanks so much, Kenny Roseman, Cher Bear, Sherry Polson, you're a rock star, Earl Dyer, and uh, Sione and Mary Enoch. Thank you guys so much for being rookies on the Patreon program. 
our one and only pro-level subscriber. We need more pro-level subscribers. Thanks so much, Gary Thurston. I love you, Dad. Thanks so much for contributing to Addict to Athletes podcast and our championship-level subscribers. Thanks so much. The top tier, Shad and Freya Robison and the whole Robison family and Ron and D. Loesch. Thank you both so much for your your faith in, in what we're doing, your trust, and for your willingness to allow uh, this podcast to get out further. So continue to share it. If you want to be a Patreon subscriber, you can do so as little as $2 a month. Anything else above that gets you all kinds of perks, features, and bonus materials, and all kinds of fun stuff. Check it out at patreon.com slash athlete. Again, I want to thank you all for downloading, listening, and sharing. Please jump on the Radio Ronin Network for all that they do. A lot of good things happening on Radio Ronin. Um, Until next time, athletes, please turn that mess into a very powerful message.